The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Yeah, but you know, I've been at these stations for a long time, and who cares what they think, you know? <laughs> that's, that's my motto. That statement definitely doesn't represent their opinions. <laughs> what are they going to do? Take the show off the air? Oh, they might. Actually, I care a lot what they think. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Faith Debate. I'm Troy Skinner. Those uh, laughing nervously behind me are uh, David Forsey, Daniel Rasby, and Imran Rasby. We are all pastors of churches in the area that happen to be house churches. There's three different churches that are represented here. Uh, one of them is on the north end of town up by Thermont. One's in the south end of town. Is what's that like the Knoxville area? Is that what Brunswick? What is that considered? Yeah, probably more people know know Brunswick, but yeah. Okay, and uh, and then there's uh, Household of Faith in Christ, which is mine, which is pretty much dead center in the county. Um, and you can find us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com and learn more about us and what we're all about. And you can reach out. And it was mentioned to me that I should suggest to you that we would pray for you. And I can't promise that, but I know Imran will. So if you need a prayer, <laughs> you reach out and, uh, and we will pray for you, uh, including Imran. So um, my email, my cell number, it's all on our website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. We've been talking in recent weeks about family matters, marriage, children. Last week was talking about learning disabilities and how to raise children with that. And this week we're going to transition to sibling relationships. By the way, something I meant to mention last week, it's going to be a little out of context in this case, but oh, there's research out there that would seem to indicate, if you don't know the name, I think his name is Samuel Blumenfeld. Do you know that name by any chance? I think so. Uh, he's, the, he's the guy that kind of turned me on to there's this research that indicates a lot of people that have uh, what gets diagnosed as dyslexia. Uh, is is was caused by trying to learn how to read a whole word as opposed to through phonics. So if you've got a child that's struggling with their reading and struggling, therefore, just academically in general, maybe you want to go back to square one and work on training them up in phonics and see if that doesn't help it. And I would say nip it in the bud. Don't let your child learn how to read whole word. Uh, help your child to learn how to read phonics. So, And if you do that, you'll have well-adjusted children who will get along well as siblings. <laughs> I tried to squeeze it all back together. We're talking about uh, a bunch, the last four, five, six weeks now, we've talked about a series of materials, books, and things available through Conquered by Love Ministries. They have a website, uh, conqueredbylove.org, and the Razvies uh, founded that and, and run that. And they've got a number of books, several dozen books that are out there. And four of them are called Conquering Sibling Rivalry, How to Have Children Not Fight, that's not fair. Conquering jealousy. Chores. How and why to teach siblings to work well together on chores. And sharing and contentment. So those all seem to fit in the sibling uh, area. I know that last week we got a little bit one-sided as far as the number of voices uh, that, that got a chance to participate. So I'm going to start this week with uh, David and make sure you have a chance to, uh, to get... A few words in, a few licks in before, you know, the, the other three of us just run off with the show. <laughs> All right. You've got, was it, five kids? Right? I have, yeah, I have five kids. And uh, I guess just for context's sake, they are, we have, we have a set of twins and then, and then three, they were first and then three kids after that. And so we had five kids within five years. Uh, so they're all really near in age. Any um, rivalry? No, none at all. Um, so you have nothing to add to this conversation. <laughs> or you can tell us how that happened. How do you have no rivalries? <laughs> uh, uh, I grew up in a family, though, where we were pretty spread out. There, 
my sister and I are very close in age, but then my other two brothers, five years down to the next one, then five more years down to the next one. And uh, so the the family dynamics, I think, are pretty different in, in uh, situations where the kids are spread Was out. Was it easier when they're spread out or harder when they're spread out? Uh, well, I wasn't my parent, um, but uh, I, I think they were probably more difficult just from thinking about my experience. And, and I'm very good friends with all of my siblings now, uh, but we we didn't really become closer. I mean, I'd say even really like get to know each other very well until we were grown-ups and sort of all on the same stage of life in that sense, married and having our own kids. Right. Um, but all of my children know each other really well. They're very good friends with one another, uh, partially because of that closeness in age. And um, But, I mean, even even there, like our, our, our twins, the oldest, are, are girls, and our youngest is a girl. And uh, and so there's, there's just those few years distance that, um, you know, sort of make it, make it hard for them to, to connect sometimes. But uh, I, I guess, I guess first I'd say like siblings are a great thing. Um, I think, I think it's probably, uh, he says that cause he's con- concerned they're going to listen to this show. <laughs> I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's a huge benefit to, uh, to kids to have, to have siblings just like, um, you know, I think with, uh, you know, getting, getting married is a is a huge benefit because it's a lot of work and it makes you grow up and mature in a lot of ways and learn things about yourself and relating to other people and same thing about when you have kids and then if those kids are able to have siblings more relationships you know they're around them that is good for them it, it and as i've been talking to some people recently and you know people who think that the world has lost its mind and they're like you know what can i do and i and if they're young enough i say have babies because <laughs> long, yeah. you know, assuming Christ doesn't return in the interim, the 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 long haul strategy here is to outnumber them. So if you're if you're a good, solid, you know, right thinking, particularly if you're a Christian, uh, have babies and lots of them, and you, I think we would all be shocked at what the world would look like in forty years if all the Christian families had ten kids and all the secularist you know, knuckleheads out there killed didn't have kids. any kids. Or killed their kids. Right, yeah, exactly. Which is what they want to do with That abortion. would be transformative inside of a generation. But the problem is so many believing families don't have a lot of kids either because I get it. Back in the day when it was an agrarian economy, it, it was a little easier perhaps to understand why you would want to have 15 or 20 kids. Now it's hard financially to have a, a lot of kids. I get it. But uh, you guys have a lot of kids. You figured we, it out. We're doing our part. We've got 13 kids. And yes, it is expensive. But the thing is, who's providing for the kids? You or God? As soon as you give it over to God, God will provide. Then the rest doesn't matter. So you have 13. And it, that means there's lots of divvying up for the chores, right? So that, is that easy when there's 13 kids to divvy up? Because they don't have... Yes. Because like, I was an only child for 15 years until my, my sister finally came along. And so for 15 years, I was the only one doing the chores. I feel like that was maybe harder for my parents to motivate me to do my it, chores than it would have been if there were 12 others to share those duties. Some, it's, it's helpful if there's several kids... Sorry, you're good. No good. It's helpful, helpful if there's several kids, <clears throat> particularly if you can pair them up. And so what we did, my, my mom uh, did is she made charts and, you know, they would rotate. So you'd have a rotation and you'd pair up with one sibling for the next day or so and you do chores that day with that person and then you switch up with another person the next day. 
and you do chores with a different person every day, and every time you do the chores with a different person. So you learn to do all the different chores. It's not just, oh, my, my job is to do the dishes and somebody else does the laundry. No, I learned the dishes and the laundry and all the other things. But we did it with a different person each time. So that avoids children just becoming uh, attached only to one sibling. And they can only get along with that person and not anybody else if they're spending all the time with that one person. Because children that work well together will play well together. So if they can learn how to work together, and the rules were you can't just do it by yourself and, and, and before the other person gets there, you've got to actually do it together. And you both have to pitch in on this chore, and then you rotate with another person. So now you learn how to work with every single one of your other children, uh, other siblings, and you get along with them. So chores are a really, really great thing for teaching sibling relationships. Do you do something similar at your house where the kids... Uh take turns who they're doing chores with? That's a cool... I never uh, we, heard of that idea. We, we do have a, a chore rotation. We don't have a rotation of teams. So everyone is learning to do, you know, all of the various types of things. Does that ever and lead then, to fights where the kids are like, hey, I'm doing more of the work on this chore or so-and-so did a really bad job cleaning the toilets last week and so now it's my turn to clean the toilets. Some, and some of my kids are, are definitely more critical of... Uh, of others have have they have various standards sometimes and uh yeah so that's 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 an issue that's something that uh that they have to work through it's not fair well life is not fair and we don't treat our children the same not one child gets treated the same as another child uh just like we tell our children just like flowers some flowers need shade some flowers need sun some flowers need a little bit of both we can't treat them all the same otherwise they will die so we treat our children differently. And I see a lot of, I mean, a lot of kids say, oh, that's not fair. You did this for that. Per-. And, and a lot of parents, they don't know how to respond to that. They're like, uh, okay, yeah, let me make it fair by doing this. No, don't make it fair. You shouldn't make it fair. Let me write you a check. Give you some reparations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> God doesn't get, uh, treat us all fairly. You know, not, not all equally. So there's a difference between being um, equal and being equitable. And I think we have that problem in, in society, too. A lot of people think, oh, they need to have equal of everything, not be equitably treated. And there's, there are there, there are two different things. Yeah, there's a, there's a story from back in the 90s, and I've said it a number of times over the years, possibly on this show, once upon a time, I don't know. Uh, but there was a special teams football player for the Dallas Cowboys in an, in an important game, like in November or something, in the playoff push, and he, he made a dunderheaded decision or whatever and ended up turned into a turnover, a fumble or something. The other team recovered, ended up scoring, and the Cowboys, I guess, lost the game. That part, Whether they won or lost, I don't know, but it was a major blunder. I think he, they lost the game. And so uh, uh, Johnson, what was Johnson's first name? Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was the coach at the time, and Jimmy Johnson cut the player in the middle of the season, which doesn't typically happen. Uh, unless they do something like in their personal life, drugs or spouse abuse, something like that. But for a mistake on, in the game, you don't typically get cut in the middle of the season. He cut him. And, and he got kind of called on it by the media, or they tried to call him on it in the media, saying, uh, Coach Johnson, I mean, you cut, you know, Mr. Dunderhead over there because he's a special teamer. I mean, if Emmett Smith fumbled and you guys lost, you wouldn't have cut Emmett Smith. I mean, you're, you're playing favorites. You're, you're treating your players differently based on their station within the team kind of thing. And his answer to that was, I thought, brilliant. He said, no, let me correct you. I treat all my players exactly the same, individually. 
was like, yeah. that's the flowers idea, yeah. right? That's, yeah, right. treat them exactly the same as individuals who have different kinds of needs and different sorts of different roles and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So when they're uh, saying it's not fair, is it as simple as just saying, well, life's not fair? Or do you have to kind of sit down and have one of those daddy talks with the little one and say, well, let me explain to you how the world works? Or, or like, it, well, it's age dependent, it's, right? So it depends on on where they are and their the things that they'll comprehend. Um, but I but I think it begins with, um, you know, even even before you're able to even have conversations. Um, part of it too is is you know uh, making it clear that the majority of the decisions are you know are mommy and daddy's, and that's that's fine, and that's that's right. And so, you know, I give you this cup and I give you this cup and that's fair because that's what mommy and daddy decided to do. That's, that, that, is, that is a good thing. And really, uh, I don't want to treat you fair because I want to love you. And loving you might be something different than loving one of your siblings. And we've had, we do examples. I mean, for example, if it was fair, here. Why don't you, there's 13, there's 15 people in this family. So here's the pot that we had to cook dinner in. Just clean one fifteenth part of this pot. Because that's fair, right? Don't, don't clean the others because you don't want to do it for somebody else. Or you just clean your mess. How much dust did you bring in? Just clean one fifteenth of the dust that was in there. <laughs> and the baby gets, gets milk for dinner. So now we're only going to drink milk. Everybody. Nobody gets any meat. Nobody gets any vegetables. No dessert. Just milk today. That's fair. That's, that's fair, right? And the kids start laughing. Oh, no, that would be crazy. You're right. It would be. That's why we treat everybody differently. And the biblical thing here, God gives everybody unique talents and abilities and situations in life, right? One person is is uh, born and they're going to grow to be you know, six feet, ten inches tall and make billions of dollars playing basketball. And somebody else will be born and they're only going to be five foot two and basketball is not going to be in the cards for them. Well, that's not fair. Well... <laughs> And so God doesn't isn't fair in that regard, right? But he also doesn't make mistakes. Right. That's true. Yeah, and we've got examples of sibling rivalries going awry in Scripture. Yeah, from right. the beginning. Yeah, from the very beginning. So sibling rivalry um, uh, books, the ones we have, are really the, our best-selling books for our ministry. Wherever we go, they're the most in demand that are... Um, you know, uh, when we do a speech, that's the most in-demand speech or a conference talk that we do is sibling rivalry. Because it seems like if you have more than one child, there's going to be rivalry. Why? Because we're always striving. Okay, God built us to strive. We're going to strive and try to achieve and try to be better. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. The difference is we need to change who we're going against instead of our sibling. Change it against sin. We're going to strive against sin, but strive together. Be on the same team. So we have to readjust as we're going to strive for something or strive against something, strive against sin, strive together with your sibling and conquer together. So because we're designed to strive, to achieve, to grow, and to conquer things, let's do it together. We just have to realign what they're fighting and what's going on. On that note also, sharing and contentment. I've had so many people say, now, Jimmy, you must share with your sister. Here, take the ball out of Jimmy's hand and give it to Susie. That is absolutely the wrong, the worst thing you can do to Jimmy. You're undermining his faith in you that you're going to protect him. You're undermining his, uh, his, his con- not, not contentment, his, his um, I'm just missing the word, but his, 
his feeling of being safe and being taken care of and being loved because you're taking something out, the security. You're, you're, you're damaging the security. The less secure he feels, the more he will act out. So what we do with sharing is totally different. And we've told many, many parents, taught many parents, and, and it's worked and they come back with high praises on this, is look, they don't have to share. But when you're done playing with that ball, then Susie would like it. Okay? And Susie, you just got to wait. And you know what? If you never get a chance to play with that ball, so let's say it's at a swing set. We're at a, at a park, and Jimmy's on the swing set, and he's swinging. When he's done, you don't have to share. When he's done, Susie can get a turn. What if he never gets done and we leave? Will that keep Susie out of heaven? Absolutely not. So it's okay that Susie did not get a chance to be on the swings, and Jimmy hogged it the entire time. But Jimmy became more secure, and he's more likely to share on his own accord because now he's secure and wants to share, wants to give, because we want our children's hearts to be in such a way that they want to give and love as opposed to trying to hold on. The more you take away, the harder they're going to hold on to their whatever they have because they feel insecure. If, and it seems almost counterintuitive because it goes against almost any, any and every childhood experience I had, and yet it makes total sense because you think about it, forced sharing involves theft. It involves theft. If I'm going to force mm. David to share his phone with you and he doesn't want to, I have to steal his phone from him to give it to you. It's called taxation. <laughs> It's called taxation. So it makes, it makes sense, actually. But, but I don't know. But, but it also, it also I don't teaches, know anybody that does that other than you guys. It, it also teaches Susie something different, too, right? Because uh, when if, if you force Jimmy to give it to Susie, whenever Susie's, oh, I want that toy. Well, now you're teaching her to be jealous, to be uh, discontent. That's why the book is called Sharing and Contentment. Because you need to teach sharing, but you need to teach contentment also. And if you teach sharing by making people discontent... Now, what, when they're, they're really, really little and their, their language skills aren't, because I've seen this with toddlers, let's say, right? And somebody's playing with the, the fun musical toy that lights up and has all bells and whistles. And the other kids, ooh, and they want to go take yep. it. And they start yanking it from each other. Nope. Daniel, Daniel's daughter is 15 months old. And already she's content. She will wait. And if she doesn't get something, she will wait patiently because we've taught her that way. And, uh, and what's the method there? How do you communicate that with a pre-verbal child? Oh, you, children. Uh, yeah, let, let me let me uh, push back a little bit on that on that s- question. I, I know what you're meaning. You, you know, with a very young child, but I wouldn't say pre-verbal. An infant that's five days old knows what words are, and they understand you. They understand very very well, uh, far m- far more ahead than you might think that they understand words. The difference is most parents don't uh, assume that their children understand what they're saying, and so they either talk baby talk to them or they don't use full complete sentences. I use complete sentences with my baby. When, we, we, uh, when she was hungry, I said, oh, are you hungry? And at uh, one month old, she would say, hungry, hungry. She was actually mouthing all the syllables for hungry. And it meant what, what, what it meant. And she would use, uh, we, she didn't always use complete sentences, obviously. She used sign language. She might say a word here or there. But we always use complete sentences and talk to her like she's an actual person rather than a dog or, you know, somebody that's not, that, that doesn't have intelligence. But, with all of that, yes, when somebody's playing with something and I can see my baby wants that, I'll say, oh, great. Yeah, they're having fun. Let's watch them. When they're done, maybe we can have a turn. And if it looks like it's going to be a while, I'll say, oh, let's, let's go try this thing. And we'll just go and do that. And I'm not going to wait around for her to say, okay, fine. I'm, I'm happy about it now. We're just going to go ahead and do it. And we'll find something to be happy about. If you act excited and, 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 and all about some other thing that we're going to do, the baby would quickly shift their priority to whatever you're excited about. Because you can instill that in the baby. 
Um, I absolutely agree. And, and one of the things that Daniel said, you know, being able to speak that early is rare because the vocal cords are not, not uh, developed well enough and, and many babies cannot do that. Now, Daniel's baby was born with a tooth, so <laughs> I think she was a little overdeveloped already. But <laughs> that aside, um, we taught our children, our babies, sign language. When we would say something, we would sign it, and they would understand. Uh, the ch- mm-hmm. children would sign nurse, sign more, sign thank you, sign please, before they could speak. And they would communicate very well. So pre-verbal, yes, they can still understand a lot. And as Daniel was saying, if you're, as a parent or as a caregiver, is, are excited about something, you can easily shift their attention to something else. And we don't use no. No, you can't play with that. You know that. Hey, Bobby's playing with that right now. We'll wait until Bobby's done. If he's not going to get done, that's okay. We'll find something else to play. And, boy, this is going to be really exciting. Let's go try this. So always it's going to be a, an alternative instead of a no. So, hey, in, instead of saying no, don't do that. Say, let's do this instead. Because children, and as you said, pre-verbal, you know, we see no, we understand what no means, but children really see in pictures. But they don't see the, a picture of no. What, what do you picture when you say no? You see a circle with a line through it, right? But children don't have that picture. Yeah, and, and, and we learned that through the special needs uh, training with our son. Uh, no is a trigger word for him, and not for the reasons you would think, like he doesn't want to be denied something he wants to do. No, no conceptually is a, can be a confusing word because there's no action that is exactly. connected to it. So if, you, if they're pressing the button on the remote and you want them to stop, then you need to say stop because yep. there's an action like, oh, cease doing. But no is like the answer to a question, a yes, no question. You didn't answer. I didn't ask a question. Why are you telling me no? Like they're not thinking those, that sort of Yeah, it's helpful thing. to give, uh, give the, the put on action, right? So if, uh, I mean, even when our, our babies were crawling, you know, if they're crawling towards something that, uh, that they shouldn't be getting into, um, you know, you can... Uh, you can say, you know, do this instead. I, you know, even if it's something as simple as, you know, is there something, say, walk away, you know, is a, uh, is a phrase that we've used with, with kids at, at different stages, uh, you know, and it, that basically communicates, you know, you, you know, choose something else, you know, choose a different direction. Um, and back on the, on the sharing thing, I, you know, we, we you know, we, we did things very similar to the, the way you all talked about, um, Daniel and Raz. Uh, I, it's just you're, you that are left out, Troy. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're I, maybe because the, I was an only child for 15 the, years. And the, the only thing I would, kids, uh, only one of them was typical development. So I didn't have the, experience the only, there. the only thing I, that I would add, and maybe you all did this too, but just sort of, uh, we also like in, encouraged our, our children to um, to notice notice the desires of one another. So you know, if uh, if someone is, um, I guess one way that we would encourage sharing is we would say, you know, like you can see that someone else would like a turn. You know, maybe maybe do this for a few more minutes. You know, enjoy it for a few more minutes, and then. Uh, yeah, but, and then and then you know, and then offer it to them. But, but when you're ready, and I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't tell the child they had had to do that unless it was something we had made a plan ahead of time. Say we're going to go over here, everybody's going to get a turn. It's going to be five minutes each, and they already know before they start playing with it that that's what they're going to do. But if somebody usually the, the sharing conversation comes up once, 
I want that. It, it looks fun. I want that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with it. Hey, Mommy, he won't give me a turn. Yeah, that, that's, that's more of a discontentment on the child that's complaining rather than – but what we will say is if somebody really wants to be a jerk about it and say, look, I'm playing with this forever. Okay, well, as soon as you set it down to do anything else, you're done with it. You can't say, oh, I'm holding this. I'm eating dinner now, but I'm going to play with it afterward. Or, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the Lego down. I'm going to play with my, uh, you know, my robot set for a little bit. And, but I still have the Legos in my left hand. No, you're, you're playing with something else now. Yeah, so the other person needs a turn. It, and that's going to put a wrap on this week's show. So we're running against the clock. This is the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. Find all of us. Connect with us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Of course, the radio station's website as well, wfmd.com. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from now.